0: I mean, you and I have talked about this, Megan. It drives me absolutely bonkers when I see cyclists break rules, right? Going down, look out on the wrong side of the road. It just, it's like, dude, you just messed my day up because now that guy that you passed is mad at me. I had nothing to do with this. So if we can build more goodwill through either charity or following the rules of the road or that kind of stuff, then it just helps all of us.
1: to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast, the exploration of life fully optimized with Megan Hotman.
2: Maximum Enthusiasm podcast listeners, welcome back. This episode is brought to you by my friends over at Relish Studio. Check them out on the web at relishstudio.com. They are a digital marketing firm devoted to purpose-driven business leaders, and their goal is to guide and support their customers as they realize the full potential of marketing to fuel both business and personal growth. Speaking from personal experience, I have worked with Relish on websites, logo design, and in fact, the editing of this very podcast. I can't say enough about them, and my friend Stu is just a wonderful human. He is totally in alignment in terms of environment and sustainability, two things I'm very passionate about. And in fact, their entire business is a 1% for the planet partner, which means they're giving back a percentage of their revenue to environmental causes and organizations. I just love these guys. I can't say enough about them. If you decide to check them out and you want to hire them for a new job, make sure you mention the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast to them, and they will offer you a 10% discount off of their normal rate on their first engagement with you. Check them out, relishstudio.com. All welcome back to the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast. Today is a special show, special format. I have two guests joining me, uh, one of whom is my new partner in law, Andrew Phillips, and the other is Bill Plock, the host of the brand new cycling event called the Colorado's Ride. And so, jointly among the three of us, we take turns asking questions and answering questions of one another, which I think is a super fun format. I do just want to give you a heads up about the Colorado's Ride. They are getting really close, actually, to being completely full. And so if you wanted to jump in on this event, I highly recommend you check it out quickly. They've got about 90 spots open, last I heard, and that could probably even be fewer at this point, point. Um, 93 registrations. So make sure you check out Colorado's Ride. Uh, that's plural, coloradosride.com, if you want some more information and to sign up. Andrew and I will be riding, and we'd love for you to join us. I also just want to make a really uh, big plug for a film that I'm involved in and I'm helping get premieres set up globally. It's called The Engine Inside, and you can visit the website engineinsidefilm.com. I would love so much if you'd be willing to visit the website, watch the trailer on YouTube, and then share the link with a few of your best friends, and ideally share the link with people who don't ride bikes so that we can actually get them jazzed about bikes. but. Our goal is 100,000 views of the trailer, and we would love to get your eyeballs on it. In addition, we'd love it if you wanted to come join us for one of the premieres. We are hosting three here in Colorado, June 7th in Salida, June 29th in Golden, and July 12th in Boulder. And you can see the entire global schedule of premieres and screenings on the website engineinsidefilm.com. If you are interested in hosting one, please reach out to me at Megan at anthillfilms.com. I'm actually super stoked and excited to be helping the Ant Hill team in being the premier coordinator. So reach out to me via email and let's get you a show in your city. You can use it as an awesome opportunity to get your cycling organization, cycling community together. You can also use it as an opportunity to fundraise for your favorite cycling organization or advocacy group. Um, and I think that the film is super inspiring and we're really hoping it gets even more people on bikes. So If you missed the live events, it will be on iTunes later in July, so you'll be able to watch it online, and from there, we really hope it gets picked up by a streaming service. So again, your views on that YouTube trailer would be hugely helpful. Um, So with that, let's get into the interview. Let's talk about the new news for The Cyclist Lawyer with Andrew joining the team here with me in 2023, and then I'd love for you to hear all about the brand new cycling event called Colorado's Ride. And I hope that you will join Andrew and I there later this uh, fall. Thanks so much for listening. Good morning, listeners. Welcome back to the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast. I am thrilled to bring you a couple guests today on the show. We are hosting Bill on behalf of a brand new bike ride that I can't wait to have him tell you all about. He and his partner, Zach. Are launching this incredible event. And Bill is also the face and the human behind 303 Endurance, 303 Cycling. And I'm also super pleased to introduce everyone to my new partner in law, Andrew Phillips, now known as the cyclist lawyer, part of the cyclist lawyer team. And so we're super excited to talk about what we're up to. And of course, it all comes full circle because Andrew and I are both taking part in Bill's ride. <laughs> so <laughs> welcome to you both.
1: All right. Great Thanks to be for here.
0: I'm excited to chat and congratulations on your partnership. That's pretty exciting.
2: Yeah, we are super excited. It was a long time in the making and yeah, we're excited to tell you how it all came about. But you know, the short version of that story, of course, is that it came about because of bikes.
0: There you go. (laughs) Like a lot of things.
2: Like a lot of wonderful, fortuitous things that happen in life. The synchronicities around cycling are too numerous to mention. Is there um, anything
1: bad about bikes or it's just
2: so great? I can't, I can't really seem to think of, of many. No. <laughs> so Bill, um, talk us through this partnership with Zach. Uh, he's got his own kind of logistics company, this perfect merger and union of the two of you and this idea to bring this new event to life. Tell us about the event, the website, all the things.
0: Well, where to start? Let's think. Um, the, the bottom bottom line in all of this is Zach, who has Summit Cycle Solutions, is his company, and they do logistical support for all kinds of rides, MS Ride, Triple Bypass, Ride the Rockies, Ride Bike North Carolina, to name a few. And then I, he and I have worked together for a few years working with the We Ride 4 Cycling Club, and we do their 50-person mini-tour, if you will, been doing that. And then when I was the interim ride director for Ride the Rockies, Last year, of course, Zach and I worked tons together. And to be honest, and this is not a slam on some rides, but we just felt like that something needed to change to make these multi-day tour rides more sustainable, more important to towns, more, more interesting for riders and more engaging. So we came up with this concept. We call it a Colorado's ride. Keep it simple. And we wanted to um, find two communities that we could kind of have as a dual spoken hub uh, set up for cycling. So we chose Durango and Pagosa Springs as those communities because, I mean, it's like one of the best parts of the state of Colorado, no doubt about it. And then we introduced some cultural things like if you ride our ride, the first day you ride from Durango to Silverton, you take the train back, you know, and, and so we really want to pitch the idea of learning about the local community and you know, not moving every day, getting up at 530, packing your stuff and then being all stressed out to get to the start and then, you know, whatever. And, and so you can come back to Durango and you start to learn where maybe the cool restaurants are, the coffee shops, and you get to really spend time there. And what we're seeing about this is that people are bringing families. And their their kids and their other significant other might just hang out at the hot springs all day while they're riding their bike or vice versa. <laughs> So I think the impact over time, if we become successful like we think, the towns love it. I mean, we had meetings all week with Durango, and Pagosa Springs. They're they're excited for us because they know these folks will stay around. So,
2: and Andrew, hop in when you have questions too. I don't well, well, to- I'll just
1: tell you, I haven't spent a lot of time in that area, so I am super stoked to get to know that area better. And when I found out that it was we're staying in these two small towns that I want to know better, like. It just spoke to me. What what a great concept! This is a great way to just plan a little bit more roots in Colorado and get to know you know the south uh, southwest part of Colorado. So I, I think it's a great way to do it.
0: Well, the the cool thing is the the each day is actually going to be different and unique. Um, day one is high alpine, you know, Coal Bank and Molas Pass, and really extreme scenery that's just amazingly beautiful and there'll probably be snow still i mean i was driving down there the snow is so deep down there it's incredible (laughs) but then the next day we do a a loop around durango if you will and you're going to see a whole bunch of different ecosystems you'll see red rock and canyon and some high alpine scenery from a distance and high desert and it's it's just going to be absolutely beautiful we'll end up West towards Mesa Verde, not that far west, but you'll get a glimpse into that valley, the Dolores River Valley, and then back into Durango. Um, day three, I think, is going to be the best day, just personally. I, I think it's like the total sleeper day. Everybody's looking at the ride to Silverton or the ride up and down Wolf Creek, which is our fourth day. But the third day, you ride through these really r- wonderful rolling hills on the west side of Durango, Drop south into a little um small town called Ignacio, which is basically on the S- southern U Indian Reservation, but it's an island of its own town. And then you ride through the reservation on a highway 151 up to Chimney Rock. And the the views, the it's quiet, it's high desert, but high but rolling hills, and you get views of the on the, let's see, to your back, essentially as you're riding, well, it be to your left most of the way. You'll get huge views of the San Juans from a distance. And then you get to the top by Chimney Rock and you roll down into Pagosa Springs. And then there you are at the Hot Springs if you're staying at the hotel there. I think it's going to be a great day. It's going to be a little long. That'll be our longest day, 88 miles. But um, there's a lot of flat and it should be pretty fast riding for the most part. And mostly tailwind. (laughs)
1: you're promising that
0: now right we like like to think so but i think you'll just i think you will actually feel as i drove this road you'll feel some of that native american whatever posture there the something about that area you'll feel mystic i think about some places and i just i think it'll be a special day more than people think
1: and being on the bike, I mean, always, every time, right, it's, it's just a different experience than being in a car. You get on the bike, you're going to feel this coming into your soul, as it were, in a different way than if you're sitting behind a windshield and going through it 65 miles an hour. You just oh. slow it down. You breathe in the air. You breathe in all of that history. Um, you know, there are those moments where we get to stop and just kind of look around us and, and take it in. So it's going to be great kind of a fun side
0: story on that is I went down to the Ignacio and I met with the uh, town manager and he was super excited for us he's actually a pretty big biker himself he even talks about how his stationary bike ride is is the Iron Horse classic which is our first day of our ride and he has a soundtrack exactly for it and he just <laughs> mentally thinks of the hills and so forth and so on but he's been the town manager at Silverton, Antonito, Chama, He was the director of the railroad that goes from Chama to Antonito. So we talked about that. And actually, a lot of our ride is on the old uh, railway that went from Denver to Silverton via Chama, which is basically how it went way back in the day. So there's a lot of history that I'm going to try to bring a light before the ride. So when people get out on their bikes, they'll be really appreciative of, wow, why is this road here? Why is that town here? You know, that kind of thing.
2: Bill, one thing I think we as cyclists who sign up for these events really take for granted, um, perhaps until we've seen it from the other side, is the impact it does have on the towns where we stop and we ride. And someone said it to me really well once in Steamboat, where it was like, just because you guys are here to ride bikes today doesn't mean that everyone who lives here isn't still trying to get to school and trying to get to work today. And you guys are on vacation and you're here to play bikes and enjoy the scenery and be tourists. And the locals are still trying to do their daily Thing. And so, sometimes depending on how these rides or events are organized, it can either create a lot of goodwill and long-term lasting relationships with communities, or it can create a lot of friction and tension. And of course, from Andrew and my perspective, we want to um, we want to keep the relationship between motorists and cyclists as positive as possible. And so, what are you seeing with these communities? It sounds like they're really embracing this event, and and if so, why do you think that is?
0: Well, a couple of reasons, but to your point, we are very careful about that because, for example, we sat down with the um, city of, well, our first meeting, last one of our first meetings was CDOT and the Colorado State Police, and we talked through every road we were going to be on and the construction and how we might impact that process and how we can mitigate that and properly roll through and this and that and the other. And then with Durango, we met with the fairgrounds where we're staying, and the fairgrounds is right next to the high school. And they'll be in school by the time we come there. So we adjusted our start time to minimize any conflict with students driving to school. And we're also going to utilize the main road. We were thinking about taking some of the trail to get out of town, but that creates issues with people that commute on that trail. So we didn't want to have to fight through that. So we're just going to, the, the police officer said, we'll just get you out of town. We'll just take you as fast as we can to basically where your routes really start. And we'll provide closed road with our rolling closure basically. And I think people will appreciate that experience minimizes the impact on town for sure. And that's really important to us. Also why partly we did weekdays only um, because the weekends are pretty sacred in the mountains for tourism and hotels. So we wanted to come in and say, Hey, we'd like to help fulfill those weekdays so that you don't always get full. So we, I think all of those things are important. And the big thing is, when we're, We want to do this year over year on the same thing, we're same routes, same hotels, and really build those relationships um, so that they are excited for us to come back and so that they can react over time even more. Hey, don't forget about the ride in August. Let's make sure we don't do a field trip that day or whatever to minimize impact.
2: Right. And from a local city's perspective, other than obviously an influx of tourism dollars, which is always nice, especially as we start to move kind of out of peak summer season towards the fall in that time of year. um, What are some other reasons that towns like hosting us as cyclists or what's the what's the upside of this to them?
0: I mean, yes, the obvious, the obvious, you know, visiting stores and restaurants and that kind of thing. But I think it's also like in our case, in most rides, we have a charity aspect. So 50% of our profits will be going to local charities. And so, for example, Ska Brewing, which is our our beer sponsor, they're super excited about that because they can now bring one of their charity partners to one of our events and maybe they help out with an aid station and we donate back to the to that charity, which then puts them in a good light with the town and everybody's excited. Ignacio is the same way. Um, The town manager, they have, they actually own this space behind the town hall. And it's a, it's a, it's like a hosting facility for a couple of nonprofits that benefit kids. So they're like, great, we'd like to come help you with your aid station. And then you can, of course, provide a donation to our nonprofit. So I think that's really the impact when we, can, when we can touch the local nonprofits, because not everybody can. You know, not all tourists come to these towns and give back. they're just there to play, and which is fine. But we're making an investment in the community, and I think from a cycling standpoint, those are solid tourists who, who will then tell other people, and it'll just kind of multiply and grow.
2: is a very significant contribution. I think you're setting the bar really high for other cycling events in general um, to have that kind of contribution back to local communities. And I know you and I spoke back when this was first kind of in brainstorm phase, and you said this is really important to us, this component, 50% give back. Um, You know, can you share a little bit more about why that was so such a high priority for you and Zach?
0: I mean, there's a bit of selfishness to it, and that is it means that we are important to the to the community and to and so we're gonna obviously be more welcomed back, right but there's way more to it also because you know me, I like history, I like how things are how they become what they are, and so forth, and I think by engaging with local charities, you bring in people that have really no exposure to cycling. And I think that that's important for all of us to be safer out there when there's more types of folks that know, Hey, these are just cool people that want to give back to, and kind of take the the helmets, glasses and, and the liker off so that we can, you know, demonstrate a goodwill. I think that's important to write the rising tide for cyclists, because mm-hmm. we all know that, yeah, I mean, You and I have talked about this, Megan. It drives me absolutely bonkers when I see cyclists break rules, right? Going down, look out on the wrong side of the road. It just It's like, dude, you just messed my day up because now that guy that you passed is mad at me. I had nothing to do with this. That's right. So if we can build more goodwill through either charity or following the rules of the road or that kind of stuff, then it just helps all of us.
2: I love it. And before we go any further, let's make sure we mention the website.
0: Super simple. coloradosride.com. Just plural colorado's no apostrophe coloradosride.com
2: and registration is open and spots are open and you offer camping you offer tent service people can book hotels
0: correct and then just a plug on our camping it's a deal <laughs> and so it's a hundred bucks to camp and that includes three nights at the la plata fairgrounds which are will be on the baseball fields and there's access to bathrooms of course but what it also means is you get a three-day pass to the the rec center that's in the same facility. And you can shower, go swimming, lift weights, whatever you want to do. And then when you get to Pagosa, you we camp on the grounds of the hot springs. And you oh, get wow. a two-day pass to soak in the hot springs there, which is $70 a day if you just walk in.
2: That is a deal. Holy cow.
0: Yeah. Yep.
2: And talk about the train ride a little bit more. That's also included in registration, right?
0: It is. So we've, we've contracted with a train and, um, right up to Durango, we'll take your bike and we'll, we're going to plan a little bit of a gathering spot in town, um, maybe have a band, but we really want the riders to go engage with the community in between when they get there and when the train leaves. And, and some riders may not have much time and some will have a couple hours. So there's lots of cool restaurants and bars and things there, but, um, <clears throat> the train, yeah, we'll have, you know, pretty much the whole train to ourselves. And there's, a, there's, a, 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 a com- there's liquid accommodations on the train that they, that they control, not us. Um, <laughs> so you have a chance to get into the lounge car. And the ride is – I haven't actually done that train ride since I was probably 10. But look it up. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Like, you see parts of Colorado, you can't see any other way. And it's, it's going to be really stunning. It's awesome.
2: What have we not asked? What have we not talked about related to the ride that you're just dying to share? What do people really need to know? Well, first of all, the dates are August 28th through September 2nd.
0: September 1st.
2: September 1st. Yeah.
0: So so, that's t- a Monday through
1: Friday,
2: right?
0: Correct. And what's kind of cool about that, so that like, right. uh, dovetails into Labor Day, so that's either good oh. or bad. I don't know. But it's a way for a family, again, back to the families. People are coming, and I think they're extending their vacation on the other side with their families to take advantage of being in the Southwest. So that was part of our hope, too, and why we designed the dates the way we did. But what I haven't talked about, and maybe we can, you can talk about this on the other side when I get done, about safety, we are doing everything we can to make this a safe ride. Like the Colorado State Police, they're going to escort us with motors and a vehicle. But here's the thing that we've done that I haven't seen done this way we will have um, a company called rapid response medical with us they'll have three motorcycles with paramedics on the motorcycles and then we have riding medics within the peloton who can also assist and then we'll have a fourth paramedic at the finish line on top of that centura is also sponsoring us and they're providing an ambulance with um, a paramedic and an emt or possibly two paramedics Wow. So we're doing all we can to make this really safe and people to feel like, you know, if something happens, I'm going to be taken care of.
2: Wow. Well, not only that, but just having that presence of law enforcement and first responders out on the road, um, whether anyone needs them or not, it's also just a really nice um, heads up to motorists that the ride is encountering to just keep speed in check and drive safely around everything that's going on.
0: Yeah, and and CDOT's going to put some of those, you know, the signs saying bike ride ahead and all that kind of stuff. And That's great. um, I mean, I don't know, Megan, you remember. I mean, Haute Route, give them a plug. I felt great on that ride. I felt like the support was amazing with the police, and that just adds to so much comfort of peace of mind is so important.
2: It does. Yeah, contrasted with rides that we've all done where you see one police representative at the start, and then you're released on the open roads, and you don't see any sort of support or security um, until you get to the finish. You're really kind of out just doing your thing on open roads and highways, with most of the motoring public having no clue that there's something going on, and often enraging them when they encounter this large group of cyclists without really any other indication that it's something official.
1: Right, right. I also saw that you, you limited the number of riders, right? There's not going to be thousands of us. No,
0: that was intentional. We limited it to 500, partly because we want a better, kind of more of an intimate experience for everybody. But you don't want it too small either, because then you feel like you're out there by yourself. So hopefully, we'll have a kind of in between. But the bigger reason was the towns; they're not equipped these days for a 2,000, 3,000 type of person ride that comes rolling through. It shuts everything down. And it, it just makes everything much less safe and not as manageable, frankly. So like we're planning to do mass start, sort of like what <laughs> we H- 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 did, right? And so we don't want people just straggling onto the course at their leisure. Um, it, it just creates so many issues when people do that, that I know that there's no way they think about this stuff, but it's so important. Like we are definitely going to have... Uh, you got to get to these points at certain times, or you're going to get picked up, and we're going to move you ahead, because we want people off the road at at a good time. We don't want it to be an eight hour open road because that's just not safe.
2: That's such oh, a great that's point. Right? Yeah. That's such a great point. Thoughts or questions, Andrew? I've been hogging the mic time. <laughs>
1: no, you're great. I was just thinking of something else, but it's escapes my mind for a minute um logistic wise with with our equipment and stuff i think that that i saw something that you guys will be moving some equipment do i have that right help me understand
0: that a little bit more well we will move bags between the two towns that's okay. for sure um i mean we and you can leave your car in durango and, and there's a parking fee to do that for the couple of days so then when you come back it'd just be one nice big loop for you um and then we'll take care of bags to hotels if you book through our hotel service and we'll drop your bag at your hotel and and so forth um, same with camping and if you don't have camping gear we do offer what's called camping elevated so you can pay extra and and we have a tent for you and a and a uh, air mattress and a chair out front and your bag will be at your tent so that's oh, that's, that's white glove
1: service right there Holy right? Cow. <laughs> the other yeah. thing that, that blew me away is how affordable this ride is compared to some of the, the bigger touring rides that you look at I mean you, you can be in a few thousand dollars pretty quickly and and this ride comes in very affordable for mm-hmm. five days of riding. So we left money on the table, is that what you're saying? I'm <laughs> just I appreciate it as, yeah, as exactly. a father of four. <laughs> it's it's affordable. <laughs> you know, it's funny,
0: it's hard to price these things though. Um you know, in all fairness, it's actually more than the ride the Rockies. But you know, I don't think it's it's priced fair because we really worked at the budget and of course, we're going to pay ourselves something and and that we're working hard to make this work. So there's nothing wrong with that either. But no, nope. we wanted to keep it as price sensitive as we can. And we are seeing people. I think the economy is I think people are being pretty price sensitive right now and keeping things close to the vest for sure. Sure.
2: Well, I want to speak to the, um, camping from a van, from a van camper perspective as a solo traveler who doesn't have, um, a non-cycling, you know, partner accompanying me, um, in past events where I've signed up, where you are relocating every day or night to a different location, logistically that never worked for me because that meant that my van was going to be left where we were starting and -hmm. I would have no way of relocating my van to the finish of that stage. Um, and I've scrambled repeatedly to try and find people whose significant others could drive my van to the next, I mean, it's this whole thing. Um, Mm. and plus my dog is usually accompanying me in the van. And so having her sit somewhere, it's just not. So the fact that you have two host cities where we do a loop and return each day is really critical for people like me because I get to come back to my home base and I'm not trying to find someone to relocate my van for me and, um, you know, I know that it's going to be parked in a safe space and I don't have to pack everything up, like you said, every morning. And that's really nice from a logistical standpoint.
0: Well, good. I mean, and in, in, frankly, the the van life folks, I mean, that's, there's a lot of people asking about where they can park and we do allow that. I mean, that's part of the deal. Um, But it's kind of an afterthought in some ways, to be honest, like you can actually, now that you're saying all that, you could do a nice combo. You could leave your van you know, you could stay in a nice place in Pagosa for the two nights, come back to your van. It's kind of a dual type of vacation for you, basically. Yep,
2: yep. exactly. It's really nice to not have to relocate it every day. So so thank you for, for that from my perspective.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Andrew, are you a van camper guy? Uh no, but boy, that looks appealing. <laughs> I'm to uh, lay the seat back and camp in the SUV. That's what I do. How, how did you SUV two camper. become
0: partners? be curious
2: it's such a good oh. story well I okay, so really, of course it started with bikes um and andrew i want you to fill in the details too but my short version of it is that andrew was a member of our bike ambassadors team for several years and so he participated with our team and he was always awesome he'd come by our bike to work day station and he helped us um, a couple falls ago when we did trash pickup at our, we adopted a road section and he came and picked up, you know, he's just like a super involved and incredibly enthusiastic member of our bike ambassador team. He's also a very disciplined, um, bike commuter. He commutes a lot, a lot, a lot all year round, in <laughs> all the weather scenarios. Yeah. Um, and so we just kind of got to talking about representing cyclists and he's got many many years of that under his belt I'll let him speak to that um but it just made sense for us to collaborate and sort of from my selfish perspective my own just human side after doing this work for over 13 years kind of on my own um the emotional and mental toll that it had taken on me without really having a teammate I had an immense staff and my staff was incredible but I was the only attorney um, particularly after Gwen was hit and killed in 2021 and then we took her case to trial all the way through last December, like that that additional year and a half through that process and then being hit myself last summer and being very badly injured, kind of the culmination and, and kind of climax of those two events for me really prompted me to evaluate um, the fact that it wasn't sustainable for me to continue doing this work by myself anymore. So that was my that was my perspective, and Andrew, I'd love to hear yours.
1: I think the first time I ever heard the name Megan Hotman was a Lookout Week. I uh, I showed up for Lookout Week, not really knowing what that was. And if, if you've never heard that for any of the listeners, it's just you know early morning before work this week during the, uh, June, the last week of June, I think. Yep. And um, show up and ride up, lookout and then go to work. And it just spoke to me, and I thought, well, this is crazy enough. Let's let's go do it. What a what a fun time to show up. Um and just a, a great group of writers and got to meet Megan then and instantly became a fan of her and all the, the great things she's doing. So that oh, that that had to be almost uh I don't know, eight years ago, maybe seven, eight years ago. And just been uh following you ever since and trying to uh pitch my, my wagon to a star and so <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> And yeah, so you know the, the bike commuting and and all the the cycling advocacy that she does it's just it, it speaks to me and something I've become passionate about over the years.
0: Well, for me, look bike lookout week is always like, God, do I really want to get up that early? Do I really want? <laughs> do I is this worth it? And then whenever <laughs> I do it, I go, oh, That was really awesome. I need to make sure I do back.
1: It's an experience. You show up just groggy as all get out, and yes. boy, what an experience! What a start to the day. But the next, I don't think I could do it two weeks in a row. One nope. week is, is enough. <laughs> it's
2: hard. It's hard. Yeah, those are early mornings for sure. And uh, that was kind of an evolution in and of itself. I think we've been doing it now for 10 years or so probably. Um, and it was really a, like, okay, how do we want this to look? And then people would kind of roll up around six-ish. And so then it became a thing that those were there that were on time there was kind of a badge of honor that you were there on time. And so then we made it a very strict role at 6 a.m. sharp from the pillars. And so if you were late, you were left behind. And then a couple years we did competitions and it was people to do the most ascents in a week. And one year we would kind of had a podium of the top three ascents and then it kind of turned into let's do themes. And so sometimes now we do like a mountain bike day. Sometimes we do a skin suit day when everybody digs out their old skin suits <laughs> and Guys like Scott Bristol have a ton of fun with that. And so it's brutally early, no doubt. But we're up at the sunrise and it's the week of summer solstice. So it's the longest days of the year. And we finally got clear kind of on our dates. And so now it overlaps Bike to Work Day, which is the Wednesday of that week. So this year that's June 28th. And so we encourage everyone to go do lookout that morning and then come down to our awesome Bike to Work Day station, which Bill has taken part in. High yep. School, Colorado will be there this year. Trust for Public Land will be there this year, um, and so our bike to work day station is on 32nd Street at Maple Grove Park, just east of course. And so that it just all comes back to trying to build our cycling community and to stay connected with our cycling community in ways that aren't necessarily race related always, and really, really promoting that commuting lifestyle which Andrew lives and breathes, and I I live and breathe and just being you know i think we believe a way of life that is very accessible to people if we can just figure out a way to make it consistently safe for people to do it
0: well, i have a question for you guys so you you ride bikes together or whatever you you get to like to something you like somebody you, you jive on their personality but how does that translate to working together as partners and how do you guys how does that dovetail
2: yeah that's a great question um I think probably just like in friendships and in, you know, personal relationships, finding someone that you communicate well with who also is different enough from you that they like to do things perhaps that you don't like, you know, sort of that divide and conquer where I feel that Andrew and I are good at dividing and conquering the various aspects of clients' cases in a way that really benefits the case, benefits the client. And benefits us as humans and honestly just having that other person to be support and to check in with and just say, like, this is really heavy. Um, How are we processing this? Um, You know, some of these days can be very heavy days when we're meeting with um, spouses and families of cyclists who've been taken from us. Those are heavy days and within the legal profession it's not something that's really talked about. Um, and I've gone way down the rabbit hole on it. It's called vicarious trauma or secondary trauma, where it's a real thing that people that work with people who've experienced trauma can, can pick up that trauma themselves. And if it's mm. not dealt with and processed, it can really consume us. And unlike a first responder or perhaps a, an ER uh, trauma surgeon who sort of deals with the trauma in the moment and then moves on, People like Andrew and I, when we're working with our clients, we're working with them for years, Um, Mm. and to be effective storytellers on their behalf, if we go all the way to trial, for example, we almost have to adopt the story um, and, to a certain extent, the pain as our own to be effective in conveying the significance of what's happened, and so I think among our profession and certainly my work with other personal injury lawyers, too, like this is an aspect that goes overlooked. And without a, a support system in place, it can um, really have detrimental effects. I think we're we're all well aware of, you know, the, um, the profession of law leads the way in terms of alcohol and drug abuse among um, professions like medicine and engineering and law, like lawyers one in three are problem drinkers. Mm-hmm. And my mm-hmm. bet or my personal belief is that that is very closely tied to the work that's being done and the failure to acknowledge the toll that it takes on the humans who are doing it. So, um, in that respect, really just having a support system in a partner is more significant than I could have ever, uh, anticipated, but, um, I'm curious to know Andrew's thoughts too.
1: Oh my gosh, it's been incredible. So be able to like check in with Megan and say, man, today was hard and to just be able to chat about it a little bit. Um, it get it gets you through, and so I, that's been probably the biggest thing that I've really appreciated in this partnership is just having that that sounding board, who somebody who really understands what that's like and can help me kind of process that. Right, um, so that that's a big part of it. Yeah. I imagine does, the skills you a
2: strategy like, you know, this is a chess game that we're playing. It's like the practice of medicine. I mean, it is the yeah. practice of law, the practice of medicine, because case law is constantly sure. changing. But also there are 10 different ways to skin a cat. And parts of it are black and white and procedural, but parts of it are very much creativity and live theater and um, and and really saying, how, how do we want to tell the story? And so it's also really nice to have someone to brainstorm, like, what do we where do we think we want to go with this next step? Here are kind of our options. What do the clients want? What seems most appropriate here? Also, what's going to be most, you know, um, what's the word? I don't want to use the word fun, but perhaps interesting or exciting is a good word to use, where if everyone is really enthusiastic about a a particular approach That bodes well, as opposed to doing the thing just because it's what we've always done. And so, I think it's also really nice to have a brainstorm partner. And of course, there's definitely
1: creativity, right? There's a creativity in all this. And so, having that brainstorm partner to to get a little bit more creative about how we approach those those issues is super helpful.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, Zach and I are the same way, right? We have to. He sort of takes a part of the ride. I kind of take a part of the ride, and. He's very detailed, like extremely detail oriented, and really good at the small things. I'm more of a big picture idea, and together we work great together. It's so important to have that. You're you're right. The support, you know, when there's a hard time, you're like, okay, I know this guy has my back, or you know, whatever. So that that's huge.
2: And the nature of what we do, of course, is everything is completely confidential. Like we can't come home and talk to our significant other, um, other than in very broad strokes or very broad details. We can't share any information about clients or cases or um, specifics. And so you end up locking a lot of that deep down inside you kind of to the point I was making earlier. And so then when you have someone who's on your legal team uh, with someone, you can discuss openly the details of the case. I think that's also helpful for not just the mental health part, but also the brainstorming part. Um, and, you know, another example, like we get to have a ton of fun with how we decide to market ourselves. You know, we've decided to become yeah. the legal sponsor of Colorado ride. That was a no brainer for us. Um, and we both have different ideas, and that's also super fun. Like Andrew just did these really cool polar bear patches for the oh, yeah. bike to work day, and I've never really taken part of winter bike to work day. I don't do great in cold. <laughs> <laughs> Megan does not like the cold. <laughs> and, and Andrew's like, I'm going to make these polar bear patches, and I just remember thinking that would never have occurred to me. But that's awesome, and people came out of the woodwork for these patches. Yeah, it was really, really cool something. Thing. Is it established a relationship with Dr. Cog, the Denver Regional Council mm. on Government, who is the initiator of Bike to Work Day? And through that opportunity that Andrew created, the cyclist lawyer is now the official legal sponsor of Bike to Work Day in Denver. So we are oh. on the we are on the Dr. Cog website with just I think two other um, commercial sponsors, and so that's a significant opportunity that he created because he had this super awesome idea about these polar bear patches. So. You know, I would have never thought of that. And that's, again, what I think is so beneficial about a partnership.
0: That's super cool. Well, like, yeah, that's so funny because Zach just the other day sent me a text with a picture of a license plate with my name on it. (laughs) And I don't, you know, like, I'm like, what is that? And it turns out it's a, it's a little Colorado license plate to put on your bike for our ride. And you're going to put, and people are going to put their own names on it. And that will distinguish that's their, that will be their bike number.
2: Oh, that's cute.
0: Yeah. So they get a little Colorado license plate with, and they'll have their name and they can put it on their bike.
2: That is oh, super That's cute. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's way better than a race number. Good thinking.
0: Yeah. I, I was Zach. So I hadn't thought of that. So, like, to your point, like these things, that's where collaboration is awesome.
2: Yeah. I've done things a certain way for this period of time running the cyclist lawyer. And then Andrew comes along and he has this fresh perspective and these fresh ideas. And it's exactly what it's exactly what the brand needed. So it's so appreciated. Great. Other thoughts or questions?
0: Um. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's, it's, I, I do have a question actually a little bit. We were talking to the sheriff at Silverton and, you know, the rules of cycling are, a little bit ambiguous at times you know when is is two abreast okay or not okay and he's like can you please 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 i know it can be too abreast but can you please 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 on these passes emphasize the importance of fi- writing single file and i i don't know exactly what the law is on those sort of things you know writing single file versus two abreast and when it's okay or when it's not okay maybe you can clarify a couple of those things that most people don't really understand or the new law of riding, you know, rolling through stop signs versus red lights. and
2: Well, and it occurs to me that Andrew and I could definitely um, provide either a brief uh, video for riders to watch or even provide a brief presentation at the start of the ride. Um, The two abreast issue, I think, in all my work with law enforcement all these years, that issue, I think, is the one that causes the most consternation for law enforcement and motorists. And the way the law in Colorado reads is cyclists may ride two abreast so long as they don't impede the normal and reasonable flow of traffic. So you can ride two abreast all day long as long as a car or two behind you is able to eventually move around you. You're not causing some massive backlog or some big traffic jam. When I've worked with law enforcement, they have said that their interpretation, basically in-house, is five or more cars backed up behind you. So if you and your partner are two abreast, you now have five or more cars backed up behind you. Law enforcement's going to look at that and say, at this point, you are impeding the normal and reasonable flow of traffic, and that's not acceptable. What I think most cyclists in general do is they'll ride two abreast as long as the road is open and clear, and then as soon as they sense a car behind them, they'll say single up or car back. Um, and at times in more mountain canyon areas, riding single file can actually make it harder for cars to overtake because if you have 18 or 20 people that are single file going through blind turns mm-hmm. in the canyon, it's essentially impossible for a vehicle to overtake you versus a nice tight two by two formation where you might have six people in a nice little tight group is going to be far easier to pass. But, really what it comes down to is cycling ability of the riders. We all know that two abreast means essentially handlebar to handlebar with just a little bit of daylight between. And if you're a newer rider, that makes you very uncomfortable. And so chances are there's going to be more space between your handlebars. And so then that becomes a bit more of a problem for overtaking cars. Mm-hmm. What motorists don't know, and law enforcement sometimes doesn't know, is that you can cross that center yellow line, which we've all been told never, ever, ever cross it, but the law actually says you can cross that center yellow line to overtake a slow-moving vehicle like a cyclist so long as it's clear of oncoming traffic. So often where that tension and friction comes from is a, a motorist will feel pinned between two cyclists side by side and that yellow line that they feel they can never cross, and so now they're basically stuck there. And if Andrew and I are side-by-side on a mountain canyon road, or even lookout mountain, for example, we're climbing, we're not doing much more than four, five, six, maybe seven miles an hour, eight miles an hour, and it could be a posted speed limit of 30 or 40 miles an hour. So that's a significant reduction in speed for the motorist. And so you can see where the tension builds. So best practice on a ride like this is, yes, when you sense a car is behind you to move single file. Um, but you really are not required to unless you're you're full-on impeding traffic. Um, Andrew, any uh, thoughts on that?
1: Well, I, I think you're right. It depends on the, the size of the group, right? If it's just two or three of us, that's really easy to get in that single file, but if there's 12 of us, you're not going to be able to move into that single file, so you, it just really comes down to being comfortable as a writer to be in that kind of a group or maybe um, not be in that kind of group at the moment or be at the back where you're going to be able to get into the single file position. Um, so, you know, there's some responsibility on the rider to know their skill and how they can ride that way so that it's safe for everybody.
2: And one okay. of the things we've learned, Bill, on this topic is those share the road signs that were really intended for motorists to share the road with cyclists have have been interpreted the inverse way, which is that motorists gesture at those signs to cyclists who are in groups and say, you all need to share the road. And so we've learned that those share the road signs actually cause more harm than good, Mm. which is why you've probably seen in and around Jeffco, there's been a huge movement, thanks to the folks um, at CDOT and Bike Jeffco, to replace all those share the road signs with the uh, mandatory three foot passing law with an actual visual demonstration that says state law, you know, must give three feet to cyclists. So Mm. that no matter what, a driver overtaking a cyclist must give them three feet. And that's true if you're single file or if you're too abreast. Um, so I'm not sure what the signage is down in and around Durango in that area, but it might be something that we could talk to them about because the three foot loss signs are actually informative and educational.
1: Oh, that There's so much clearer to, to motorists, to everybody. Exactly. About what the expectation is.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, how about you made me think, how about the, the converse of that? Like if you're a cyclist going down, say in our ride, Mola, Mola's pass, let's say, and there's a, really slow moving truck and you're feeling almost boxed in because there's cars and is it allowable to pass that truck on a double yellow if it's completely clear to get around that really slow moving vehicle?
2: Yeah, so the law goes both ways that in the event of a slow-moving vehicle, you can cross that um, solid yellow so long as it is safe of oncoming traffic. So my one caveat or asterisk to this would be that oftentimes cyclists are able to descend faster than motor vehicles, and I would never Mm want to see a cyclist crossing that yellow to pass if they are exceeding the speed limit to do so. We are still obligated to file to follow the same posted speed limit sign that all motoring traffic is. Whether you have a bike computer on your bike or not, you're still required to follow the speed limit. And so we do see this up on lookout. You see it in um, Coal Creek Canyon and, and similar places where, of course, the cyclists can go significantly faster than a car can through those um, the apex of those turns, and that is incredibly inappropriate. Um, so only appropriate when the slow moving vehicle is actually below the speed limit and so is the cyclist and they're completely confident that it's clear
0: and in some ways that might be safer for the cyclist to get around that slow moving instead of maybe something coming in from behind right
2: that does feel uncomfortable when you're behind a slow moving car and then you've got another vehicle kind of on your butt behind you on the bike i've definitely experienced that on lookout and you feel like you're kind of in a in a death box there a little bit because you're stuck between those two Motor vehicles, so yeah.
0: If you got a a front flat tire, let's say, right, that would be
2: horrible. (laughs) Right, right. Yep. Yeah. Obviously, it's ideal to have an open road in front of you when you're on your bike descending. Um, My my, I just can't emphasize the cyclists that the speed limits apply to us descending or wherever we're riding. You know, regardless, they they apply to us. In fact, I did some work with Golden PD a few years ago where we went up and we filmed me coming down Lookout, and we were doing all these educational videos for drivers and cyclists in Golden to to know what the rules were. And I was in my big chain ring, and I was putting a little effort out on the pedals, but I was not like sprinting or getting after it by any stretch. And it's a 20, at places and 25 mile an hour speed limit on lookout, up and down. And I hit 40 miles an hour without any problem. They were using the um, radar gun to clock my speed for purposes of this video. And so my, you know, I just want to emphasize the cyclists that just because you can, doesn't mean you should.
0: Yeah, (laughs) right. No doubt. No
2: doubt. And and that is definitely an issue that you'll encounter on rides like yours um, or any ride where you have any sort of um, descent uh, or canyon or extended long downhill is that cyclists are, are of course capable of reaching very high speeds and they want to keep that reminder of the speed limit in mind. Any other issues that your law enforcement folks there or city folks express from a safety standpoint?
0: No, not really. I mean, the uh, the the main thing that we were talking about was construction and how to get people through that safely and, you know, bunching up and then having the officer take us through. Because they're doing a repaving project on one of the roads, and so they want to just kind of bring us all through together if we can. Of course, that may or may not happen perfectly just because of people getting spaced out but just do
2: waves or something like yeah, that
0: yeah and i think going through town we'll have to you know if we have the police escort we can safely go through intersections without having to stop that kind of thing um i think that you know there are a few roundabouts and there's a few of those kind of oh boy what do i do here kind of places and but I, there hasn't been any real major concern i think officers do get concerned with the The newer law, it's not so new now, where you can yield, a red light's a yield and a stop sign is a, wait, I got that wrong. A a a stop sign is a yield and a red light, you you stop Stop. first, but then you can proceed.
2: Yep, I was just going to suggest that maybe it might be worth um, either some public service announcements that local law enforcement does, or you may even want to take out a couple pages in the local papers prior to the event. Um, This is just public education opportunity that we have the stop as yield law. And whereas previously it was up to individual municipalities to adopt, it is now a statewide law. And so cyclists may treat a stop sign as a yield sign, and they may treat a stop light as a stop sign and basically proceed on a red if it's clear. And for these communities that the ride's going to converge upon, I could see that causing some perhaps um, avoidable tension and frustration that could be tackled on the front end by just providing a little bit of education, like, hey, did you know? You may witness cyclists doing this um, while they're in town. Please know that this is not like scoff law behavior. This is legal behavior. And, of course, the way the law is written, a cyclist may. You know, it's up to the cyclist. I still prefer to stop at red lights. Yeah. And you're you're probably not going to ever see me doing it differently. I I prefer to to play by the same rules as the motorists are. That's just my personal preference. But the law allows cyclists to proceed on a red light if it's safe. Um, And so...
0: I have, you know, stopped and then gone through the red light because I knew it, might be, it was one of the lights I knew I couldn't trip unless I walk over and push the button kind of thing. Yeah. I still feel really weird. I don't like doing it at all. I really don't because I don't know how many motors know it's cool to do that. And I don't want right. to make somebody behind me feel. But then when I clear through it, I think, you know what? I don't have that guy on my butt as I'm trying to accelerate and I can get through the light and get down to the next intersection pretty clean. So there is some benefit, obviously. And
2: that was the entire basis for that law, which originated in Idaho, which is why it's also referred to as an Idaho stop law. But that's the entire statistical foundation for these laws is that um, statistically speaking, the quicker a cyclist can clear the intersection, the safer they are. And so we also need to understand that if a cyclist misjudges that situation and they do roll through on a red and, and they misjudged and they get hit that they're going to be at fault for that because the motorist will have been on a green light. It will not be their fault most likely. So it's a judgment call that the cyclist is making, but in general, it's safer for us to get through the intersection as quickly as possible. Andrew, you look like you had a thought you wanted to add.
1: Oh, I was just thinking about the background. Wow, it all comes from this uh, case with a semi-truck where they pulled up Together, and the semi truck just turned right and took out the cyclist with their trailer because the, the trailer didn't track the same as the front end of the truck. And had that cyclist been able to clear the intersection, they wouldn't have been there. They're just stopped, you know, waiting for it. The truck turns right, and unfortunately, that cyclist passed away. Um, so you're right; it's just a matter of getting out of that that uh, interchange with the, the motorists as quickly as we can and safely as we can. Um, I do I stop it because of my commute. I come to a lot of lights every day and I try to get through those lights as quickly and safely as I can. Um, but you're right. There is that judgment call that on the cyclists again to make sure that we're doing it the
0: right mm-hmm. way. I will tell you when we first started these conversations with towns and the Colorado state police. And the minute I said, this is a rules of the road ride. they <laughs> like, exci- their anxiousness level dropped like by a hundred percent. They're like, oh, okay, good they thought it was going to be a race, and I'm like, no, 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 there's no race here, no closed roads, no, you know, yeah. it's a big deal.
2: You know, my work with um, law enforcement has taught me, um, I, I mean, I should back up a second, basically say since 2013, I've been educating law enforcement offices up and down the front range, and developed such a positive working relationship with them about the cycling stuff that they actually invited me on the 2018 Police Unity Tour, so I got to ride. Mm. with not just Colorado officers, but officers across the country from New Jersey into the Fallen Officer Memorial in Washington, D.C., and it was a really cool experience, and the timing was awesome because that's right when the stop-is-yield law was open for discussion in the Colorado legislature. So I got to discuss kind of the pros and cons of that off the record with you know hundreds of Colorado cops and police and state patrol and and so on. Um, And I think the public and we as cyclists in general tend to have this perception that law enforcement hates us, um, we assume that they don't ride bikes. We assume that they just prefer the motoring public, and there's this bias against cyclists, and I certainly thought that for a long time, and that's, that's the case in some situations, no doubt, um, but what, I came, what I've come to appreciate and learn is that they are the ones who are having to put, and forgive my harsh language here, but they're the ones that are literally having to put the body bag over the individual who's been hit and killed on the pavement and that affects them as a human. And they don't ever want to go to work on a shift and have that be their reality. Like They live in fear of having to deal with that situation. They don't care who's at fault. They just know that the outcome is horrendous, and they'd rather it not be on their watch. And so the issue of cycling and cycling events coming through towns gives them anxiety for that reason more than any other, is they don't want death on their doorstep and so i think to the extent that we as cyclists can continue to demonstrate that we're doing everything we can to ride safely that's really important um and we also of course have to expect the motoring public to treat us with respect as lawful users of the road too and keep their eyes up and stay off of their cell phones and pay attention for us
0: i i will add that you know as ride directors sometimes i think and i'm new at this so i'm probably not being fair but you know, you get a little anxious when you meet with people that permit this stuff and, and you kind of roll your eyes like, Oh really? I got to sign that. I need this. What, you know, come on, really? You know, it's just a bike ride or whatever the mentality, Mm -hmm. but then like, I had a really interesting kind of, I wouldn't call it a wake up call, but just a little reality check in Silverton with Sheriff Conrad. And, um, you know, he, he, he asked me, he goes, are you going to have drone? I was like, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it. Maybe I, I don't know. I'd not, Oh, he goes, you got to make sure you get a permit for that. And I'm like, in my head going, seriously, like, (laughs) but then he said, you know, what happened was last year in their ski journey event in the winter, which is one of their most popular events, brings in like tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Somebody had a drone and spooked a horse and the horse went into the audience and severely hurt two of the people watching the parade. Mm. And now now they lost their event for three years because nobody will insure it.
1: Oh,
0: so think well, of the impact of the economy
2: drones going into bike races, too, and causing chaos. Yeah. Yikes. So,
0: you know, I think most law to your point, Megan, I think most of these law enforcement and government officials, they're not just trying to dot the I's and cross the T's to make our life miserable. They've just had experience.
2: Yeah.
0: Where and I hadn't thought about what you said, but they don't there is a personal side to That's it.
1: Right.
2: I always laugh and make the analogy of like someone somewhere along the line did a certain behavior that led to the printing of um, plastic bag may cause suffocation on all of our plastic shopping bags. Like that came from, that came from some event and then some lawyer got involved and then some insurance company said this has to be printed on these plastic bags. Like that stuff doesn't just happen spontaneously. So to your point about the drones and all these other things, unfortunately there's usually been something that has precipitated the need for the concern or the caution or the, you know, whatever. Um, and I believe it's on cyclists to conduct themselves lawfully and respectfully on the roads, just like I believe it's on motorists to conduct themselves lawfully and respectfully around cyclists. And um, I really appreciate what you're doing to build those community relationships, because I think that deepens the nexus between people who have no relationship to cycling in those communities and then cyclists coming through where it's not the locals in Durango going, Oh God, it's that week when all those stupid Lycra humans come through. This is when we book our vacation to get out of here every year. You know, instead it's like, no, this is really fun and awesome. We get to meet people from around the state and we get to host them in our city and show off what we love about Durango. And um, you know, it can go one of two ways. So it'd be better if it's that second more positive way.
0: I'll add one thing more, and that is we when we were in Durango for the permitting meetings in December, we met the director of the Four Corners uh, bike rally, uh, Harley rally.
2: Oh, nice.
0: And there's like thousands of Harleys that come in. when As our ride is ending, they come in for that weekend. So we talked about trying to come up with some way to have both of our audiences together have some beers we can admire their motorcycles they can ask us why we spend ten thousand dollars for a bike and we can all have laughs yeah. and just kind of like understand each other better i think that'd be really cool
2: absolutely some mutual respect among the two-wheeled crowds would be great
0: yeah so we'll see if we can pull something off but
2: that's a great idea leather and lycra <laughs> yeah,
0: <great. laughs> the leather and lycra ball that'd be a fun yeah, one yeah i love it <laughs> I was like, bad okay, so, guys days. It's sort of like that. There right? you
2: go. Well, one more time. It's coloradosride.com. Correct. And the ride starts the 28th of August. And Andrew and I will, are registered, and we'll be there. And we're excited to be the legal sponsor for the ride. And we'll have some awesome water bottles for everybody. And, and on that note, just one more um, plug for our Bike to Work Day station on June 28th. Hopefully, everyone can come join us for that in Golden um and bill you'll maybe be there i think with some ride yep. some ride uh paraphernalia or whatever just there on hand to answer questions about the ride it'll be great
0: and my fire pit
2: and your fire pit which proved essential in september of 21 <laughs> <so> the <they're rescheduled. laughs> holy cow i got cold out there
0: <laughs> yeah well thanks a lot both of you and we're looking forward to having you and i think it'll be a fun ride and thanks for having me on the show today
2: yeah absolutely any final thoughts yeah. for you, andrew
1: It's gonna be great. I can't wait to to ride out there with you guys and to see everybody else. I'm, I'm very excited about it.
2: Right on. Well, thanks guys. Thanks so much for your time.
1: Thank you for listening to Maximum Enthusiasm with Megan Hopman. Subscribe, check out our blog, and learn more at MaximumEnthusiasm.com.